Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Everybody have a great Thanksgiving? I did too. We, had, we ate way too much intentionally. And uh, we, I think we had six versions of pie, and I tried a good share of all of them. So, but it's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. All right, we're going to jump right into the Word. I am trying to squeeze about a three-hour message into two 40-minute segments. So we're just going to continue on with what we talked about last week. We are on the front end of a series on foundations, and we're using as our primary text Hebrews chapter 6, where the author says, let us leave the elementary teachings and not lay again the foundations. And he, he talks about six planks, and there are two sets of three. There's repentance from acts that lead to death, faith in God. That's the first set. Number two, uh, instructions in baptisms and the laying on of hands. Those two things go together. We'll unpack that later. And then the final one, uh, Eter- uh, resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Those two go together. So we're going to look at those at a later date. So we are still looking at repentance from acts that lead to death and faith in God. I had intended to move into baptism, but I couldn't. We need to continue on with what we were talking about last week. I want to I look at this again. Last week we were looking at how God is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And there's a lot of people don't look at God like that. They don't look at God. They don't frame him in that way. And it's essential that we do so because God is a rewarder. He, re- he refers to himself in that way. And so when we recognize he is the rewarder, then we are motivated to cooperate with heaven. God is not arbitrary. I was looking through some notes uh, this week and came across a dialogue that I had with a buddy of mine from way back. And uh, he, he is a, I'm not going to beat up on this theological school, some of you will discern where I'm coming from on this, but uh, he was, he had written me about some things and I responded to him about, this is, this is what I wrote him, you have found God to be abundantly good in your own life, yet you are hesitant to preach that to others. This is because to you, God is arbitrary. He chooses who he will be good to and who he will make an example of. There is no guiding principle of his nature, rather it is the guiding motivation of his self-glory. There's a whole theological school of thought that follows that line of reasoning. This creates a black hole which cannot be known. We can only hope that we are not of those predestined to be pulled in and consumed. Thus David's cry, show me your ways, is an exercise in futility born of both ignorance and arrogance. This results in believers who personally enjoy his goodness but are hesitant to proclaim it to others. And so there's there's a school of thought and a lot of people believe that God is arbitrary and therefore it cripples them from really engaging God and knowing his ways. But the fact is God invites us in and he, he, he wants to give us what he refers to as the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom. Or it's you can also you could you could rearrange that phrase you could interpret that phrase as the secrets of how govern, God governs his his realm his how God governs his creation God is not arbitrary God operates by principles that he willingly reveals to us 
He's, he, although there are mysteries, there, the, the, the flip side of the mysteries is God works in revelation. And he longs to reveal to his children so that we can know his ways. When David cried that out, that was not a, a uh, you know, just a, a pursuit of a futility. That God really does want us to engage him and he longs to show his ways to us. I was sharing with the first service this morning. Years ago we had Joel Budd, Joel and Linda, some of you will remember them. Joel was preaching and I was sitting there listening to him, and the Lord spoke to me very clearly, and this is what he told me. He said, many of my children are a f- get frustrated. They don't understand what's going on in their life, but rather than engaging me and asking questions, they get offended. But he went on to say that he longs to share those things with us if we will just ask. But often what we do is we get frustrated, and we don't know why things are happening like they are, Some people just resign themselves, well, God's arbitrary. There's not really a reason behind it. It's just kind of an eeny, meeny, miny, moe version of governing, you know, governing his creation. But God operates by principles and ways. And if we will engage him, he will bring us in and reveal his ways to us. God is not arbitrary. He is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. There's a whole school of, there, there, are, there are different schools of thought, and your theology will determine your behavior. You're going to hear me hammer this. If you attend here anytime at all, you're going to hear me beating on this drum again and again and again. Your belief will determine your behavior. And so you better get your believing right, or your behaving won't be right. There are a lot of believers who live frustrated, and they don't need to. Now, frustration is a part of the Christian life, by the way. Paul said, we have been subjected to frustration in hope. Frustration actually becomes the fuel of our prayer. Because frustration is that that tension we live in. I'm not satisfied with where things are at, but I have hope for more. Without the hope, I just live in despair. And without the frustration, I live in apathy. But God allows me to live in the tension of the two, and it motivates me to press in for more. And often, God will allow things in our life to entice us to press in for greater revelation. And I have found that the greatest treasures of truth, the greatest revelations, are hiding behind my greatest frustrations. And so, don't don't just sit apathetically by and say, well, I guess God's willed this. Engage him and ask him why, what was going on in your life, why it's going on in your life. And so God longs to show his ways to us. He longs to bring his people into intimacy with himself. And so last week we were talking about how God is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I want to I want to kind of expand on that. I want to continue to look at that this morning. I want to look at what is the ultimate foundation of our faith. Remember, we talked about repentance. Now we're talking about faith. What is the ultimate foundation of our faith? And the fact is our faith is placed in his faithfulness. My faith is not in my faith. Many of you remember Quimby, Pastor Quimby, uh, Quimby mentored me as a young man, and I remember he, I don't remember what the trial was, what I was going through, but he, he, he was talking to me, and he said, David, is your faith in God, or is your faith in your faith? Now, I knew what the answer should be, but I also knew that wasn't the true answer of what I was really placing my faith in. And he was correcting me. My faith is not in my faith. My faith is in his great faithfulness. In fact, all we need is faith the size of a mustard seed. I don't know if you ever saw one of those little honkers. 
but uh, they, they barely qualify to be called a honker. I mean, they are tiny. They're like a little, little grain, just a little tiny. But a faith of a mustard seed can move a mountain because our, it's not our faith in the size of our faith. It's in the size of God's faithfulness. So we need a revelation of his faithfulness. So what is our faith in? What is the ultimate attribute of God's character? Our faith is in him, but not just, just kind of overall generally in God. It's very specifically in a specific attribute of his nature. And the greater revelation we have of that attribute, the more we're convinced of that attribute, the greater our faith will be. Our security is in his, that attribute of his character. I'll tell you what that is in a moment. I also want to end this morning with one of the primary manifestations when you really do have faith. How does that show up in your life? What is that going to manifest as? And when it does, that becomes the conduit through which heaven begins to show up in your life. Okay? So that's where we're going. Let's pray. Father, we just pray that you would speak to us this morning. Lord, that you would challenge us, convict us. Lord, we ask that that victory that was in worship would come through the preaching and we would walk out of here ready to take on the world. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Let's, uh, so here we have it. Uh, Number one, God's goodness is the foundational doctrine, uh, the most foundational doctrine, his most important attribute. The foundational thought of God's kingdom is this, God is good. It's not God's power. God's power may elicit awe and even fear. It It may even produce some obedience in you. But it's his goodness that gives you security. The fact is, Jesus talked about the, the, the mysteries of the kingdom, the king's dominion. He talks about the, the gospel of the kingdom. Etymologically, you can tear that phrase down to this. Gospel is good news. The Greek word is evangelion. We translate it with this English word, gospel, but it's really a compound word. It means good news. It's good news. Good, not just good news about anything. It's good news about a specific thing, and that specific thing is God's kingdom. What is God's kingdom? It's the king's dominion. It's that he rules. So it's the good news that Jesus rules. However, that is not good news unless the king who rules is good. Because if he's not good, we're all in trouble. He may be all powerful, which he is. He's all knowing, which he is. But if he's not good, then that all powerful, all knowing being becomes a very frightening thing to be but he's good. What, what guides his mind in his hand, his power and his wisdom, is his goodness in our life. And so when we're convinced of the goodness of God, that is what produces security in our heart. And there are a lot of believers who believe the gospel to one level, but they're unsure about his goodness. And the fact is, God is good. That is the essence of his nature. I remember having a conversation with, this is... Uh, previous pastor's day. I was, uh, we just talked about Pastor Quimby, now I'm talking about Pastor Bob Phillips. Bob Phillips and I were having a conversation one time, and Bob was a, a brilliant theologian. And uh, he was telling me he was on a radio program, and they asked him the question, what is the most important thing about God? And his answer was that God, had to turn my mic off. God is good. That was for you. God is good. That is the most important attribute of his character. And the, the, the fact that God is good is really the threshold of the kingdom. 
It's the threshold of heaven. Matter of fact, I, I would put it this way. That is, when, when at the end of the age or at the end of your life, when you enter heaven, you'll enter through a, I, this is how I picture it, a beautiful marble doorway. And beautifully etched over the, the header of that marble doorway will be written, God is good. That is the entry place to heaven. And scrawled over the entry to hell is going to be this phrase, God cannot be trusted. And those are the two things that are at our war in our mind. That's why we have the fight of faith. And the fight of faith is really a struggle to hold to his goodness when life seems to contradict what we know to be true about God. So we have to hold to that. And if we don't hold to the goodness of God, if we don't have a conviction of the goodness of God, there's an insecurity in the believer's life. And so in order for us really to enter in and have rest in him, we've got to be convinced of his goodness. So the goodness of God is the threshold of the kingdom. The foundational thought of heaven is God is good. The foundational thought of hell is God cannot be trusted. Furthermore, these are not mere thoughts. They are mindsets, lenses through which we evaluate and live our lives. So your conclusion as to the nature and character of God will determine how you live your life. We said last week, you know, when I first got, when I first got saved as a young man, I secretly wrestled with a couple of things and I, I didn't dare speak them out lest I be struck dead because I wasn't convinced of God's goodness. But this is what I wrestled with. God makes this whole thing dependent upon my estimation of his character I'm saved by faith, and it's all, it's all reduced down to my estimation of him. And furthermore, he demands my worship. And this is what I thought. I thought, that's kind of small of him. Never realizing. See, this is one of those things I struggled with, but I didn't bring to him, because I thought, I probably can't. And I found God is very secure in his identity. Okay? <laughs> he can handle my questions. And even those boneheaded ones like, God, it's kind of arrogant of you to want my worship. And I, I began to realize over time that God doesn't need my worship. It's not like God's been all insecure all week. Oh, we didn't have Wednesday night. No one was worshiping me on Wednesday. Well, I really need some affirmation. And so we got to the first service. Oh, that was good. The second service really settled, and he'll make it to the next weekend. God knows who he is. He need, the reason he commands our worship is for our sake. I need to get him back in bold relief in my life. If he's out of focus, everything else is skewed. But if I can bring him in focus, then everything else is set in its place. So I need to worship him. It's not that God needs me to. I need me to. I have to worship him to put him in his rightful place. And the reason God takes faith so personal is precisely because it is. Your faith is your estimation of his worth, of his trustworthiness, of his faithfulness. It is your verdict on the integrity of his character. So we say, well, why does God take that so personal? Because it is your personal estimation of who he is. God has designed it that way. And there's one thing he requires of you, 
Place your faith in me. And I have found God is very gracious to leave evidence all over that I can trust him. And then once I put my trust in him, it's been a 40-year journey this year. 40 years. 40-year journey of God revealing his faithfulness so that I will put more of my faith in that faithfulness. But God demands that we put our faith in him because God will not force himself on us. C.S. Lewis in his book, The The Great Divorce, he said this. He said, at the end of the age, there's only going to be two types of people. Those who say, God, your will be done. And he'll say, enter in. And then there'll be the other group where God will finally acquiesce and say, okay, your will be done. Because God won't force us to believe. He invites us. He leaves the evidence. But it takes our surrender to him. We're saved by faith. And so faith is an important thing. But now here's the thing. It's not just the heaven or the hell that we enter into at death that we're contending with. It's, that's not the only heaven and hell we have to be concerned with. Because the fact is, when we talk about eternal life, that eternal life has already begun. Scripture is very clear. The day you got saved, you entered into the powers of the age to come, and you entered into eternal life. I'm already living in eternity. And time is losing its grip more and more as I live my life. And so I enter eternity by faith. I enter the heaven of my eternal abode by faith. But heaven also enters my time in this temporary existence by faith. Heaven begins to crash in upon me and manifest in my life by faith. And so we open the door or we close the door to heaven's Invasion in our life by our estimation of God's character. And that is as much a psychological thing as it is a theological thing. Hang with me. I'm going I'm to read a lot because we've got a lot to get through and we've got 20 minutes. Okay. These are not mere thoughts. They are mindsets, lenses through which we evaluate and live our lives. In fact, these two concepts are actually the thresholds. Now, the two concepts I'm talking about is God is good or God cannot be trusted. This is the echo of Eden. The original lie about God. And every one of us has wrestled with that ever since. We're trying to uproot that belief in our heart. And to the degree we have is to the degree that we can enjoy heaven's invasion in our life. And to the degree that we still hold to that lie that God cannot be trusted. And mind you, there are believers who trust Jesus with their eternal destination because they're like, I have no other alternative. (laughs) You're the only thing going, Lord. I'll trust you with that, but as for, you know, the sweet by and by, yeah, but the nasty now and now, I'll take it from here. Because we still are not sure we can trust him. And when we struggle with that, we need to be really honest with God and have those conversations where we lay it out on the table. God, I am having a hard time trusting you with my future spouse or my children's destiny or my finances or whatever, fill in the blank, my health or the health of my loved one. We need to put those right on the table because God wants to engage us there. Those are not things we sleep, sweep under the rug and just pretend isn't there. God already knows they're there. You need 
to admit they're there so he can help you deal with those. And in fact, those struggles are actually the ground of your greatest breakthrough and where your faith becomes deeper and more established. It's very clear in Scripture that trials deepen our faith or the other alternative is we abandon our faith. And so it's not healthy to try to avoid those things and because it's uncomfortable. Well, that's what we need to engage the Lord on and just put them right between, you know, put those problems right between us and him and have a dialogue on this. Lord, you know what I'm struggling with and I need you to help me deal with this in my life. Because to the extent that you do that will be the extent that heaven can begin to manifest it, God's rule in your life. Let me... Explain what I mean. These two concepts, God is good or God cannot be trusted, are actually the threshold of their respective worlds. It just may be that over the doorpost, I already said that, everyone, uh, everyone has a theology. You can't help it. Whether you like it or not, you have a theology. You may have a really bad theology, <laughs> but you got a theology. You may be an atheist. That's a theology. Your theology is that God does not exist. And that theological conclusion has tremendous consequences in your life. At first, oh, I'm free to do whatever I want because there is no God to answer to at the end of the age. And then suddenly you realize, whoa, it's all on me to navigate this thing and try to figure this out. And so our theology will determine how we live our life. So, Number two, we have already entered eternity. We think of heaven and hell as some future existence in a place, but there is a very real sense in which these two worlds are vying for dominion in the here and now. Scripture speaks of eternal life. This phrase denotes not only the longevity, but even more so the quality of one's existence. So when we talk about eternal life, the two Greek words, the eternal, of course, is speaking of the longevity, but life itself, that Zoe, is talking about the quality of existence. Everybody will exist forever. But is it eternal death or eternal life? And the difference is the quality of that existence. The longevity is set. You are a living soul. And so that longevity, the quality of that in Zoe is something that we enter into when we get saved. Let me give you a couple scriptures for that. Mark 10 verse 30 refers to the reward of righteous living both in this life and in the one to come. So this is not just something that we enjoy in the future. We also enjoy the fruit of righteous living in this present life. Why? Because eternal life has already broken upon us. John 5 verse 24, very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but is crossed over from death to life. It's not saying someday we'll cross over. You've already been translated into the kingdom of life. And your ability to enjoy that, the life to come, is dependent upon the depth of the conviction that God is good. Because that is the threshold. It's the threshold that we cross over into eternity someday, but it's also the threshold that heaven crosses over to begin to touch us in this season of our existence. And so life, eternal life is already begun, but it's a quality of life, and the quality of which you, you experience will be dependent upon do you engage with him based on his goodness or do you reject that and still take matters into your own hands? Because when you believe he is good, 
it suddenly gives you lenses to begin to see his goodness everywhere. But if you don't believe he's good, it's going to give you other lenses. You ever remember when you were a kid, you'd have colored glasses and they'd have those books and you'd, you'd read them with no glasses and you'd see one print and then you'd put on the red lenses and all of a sudden all this stuff pops off the page. And you put on the green lenses and this stuff pops off the page. Your theology is like a lens. And when you believe God is good, the goodness of God begins to jump off the page of life. And you begin to see it everywhere. In fact, your appreciation for what God has done in the past will actually uh, spawn an expectation of more of that in your future. We're going to get to that. That'll be how we closed this morning. All right? Good Thanksgiving message. But eternal death also has already begun. First uh, John 5:11. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and in this, and this life is in His Son. Verse 12: Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. The frightening thing is, there are degrees of life and death. There are areas of our life where the kingdom cannot touch because we don't have revelation on that. We hold to our unbelief in an area. And so the Christian life is simply a journey where God begins to invade every area of our life. Now that can happen on accident, and that's often very slow going. And the classroom is adversity. God has to produce hunger in you by bringing a problem so that you'll be hungry enough to ask, and that's the way God grows you up. Or you can be very intentional about it and ask God, engage him, and ask him to show you his ways. I want to say it again. God is not arbitrary. There are principles by which he interacts with man. There are principles that he created, embedded in creation. And as we have revelation of those principles, we can cooperate with those principles and we get the fruit of that obedience. Or we can live in ignorance and we're bumping into walls we don't even know are there. And we're frustrated and you can live with your frustration or you can take that to God and ask him, God, show me your ways. Last Sunday... As I woke up and I just began to ask the Lord, God, what do you want to speak? He very clearly spoke to me. He said, I am the rewarder. God longs to reward his children. But you need to, lo- you need to learn to cooperate with him. And as we understand his ways and we walk in his ways, there is reward from heaven. It's a beautiful thing but we have to be hungry enough to ask for those things. Death and life are both eternal. The emphasis of both concepts is not so much on their longevity, although this is definitely true, it's more so on the quality. Death is the snuffing out of life. It is quenching the flame that the source of life can be trusted. This And that's what we have to guard, this thing that says, I can trust God with my life. And sometimes there's the evil days that Paul talks about in Ephesians 6. All hell comes against that that flame of hope, and we've got to guard that. That's the fight of faith. Nothing is going to get me off this ground. I'm going to hold to the truth that God is good. And if we do that, you will enjoy the fruit of the kingdom of heaven coming in. My point is this. Heaven is 
is not just a place, it's a mindset. You, heaven arrives between your ears before it shows up in your life. And if you don't fight for the truth between your ears, you can actually think yourself into hell this side of heaven. You may spend eternity in heaven but live in hell. And so we need to ask God for revelation. And the foundation, the threshold of heaven is God is good. That's the beginning of all revelation. And when we believe that, we can begin to know his ways and we can cooperate with God. We can go from glory and glory to glory. God really does want heaven to show up on earth. In a very, that's, that's, a, that's a revival phrase. That's a, a mystical way of saying God wants goodness to arrive on planet earth. He wants to get back to what he created he wants his original intention to show up on earth, and so he's looking for candidates through which he can do that. But we need to be thinking properly to do so, because God can't show up in your life arbitrarily. We have to cooperate with his ways, and when we think God's thoughts, when we learn his ways, and we keep our lives in alignment with them, things begin to work, and it's a testimony to the rest of the world. Look at what happens when you walk in his ways. And we're to elicit hunger and thirst in the rest. We're to be salt and light to the rest of the world. Our lifestyle is supposed to create hunger for the things of God. So faith grants access to heaven while unbelief bars the door. Faith grants you access to heaven, and heaven is not merely a place, it's a state of being, and that's why Jesus can direct us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are praying that the quality of life of his kingdom would invade this one. Faith is a kingdom. It's the result of a king's rule. It is his rule, his lordship over our life. It's not some far off someday existence. It's here and now and we who believe have already entered eternal life. We enter the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven now. We do it through faith. But this believing is not a believing against, against all evidence. It is the conviction that God has already proven himself. This in turn results in a surrender to his ways, ushering in the consequences of that trust or the results, the fruit of that trust. The kingdom of heaven begins to manifest in our life. The day we received him, we entered heaven. We enter it by faith and the depth of your faith will determine the degree of heaven you presently enjoy. Let me say it again. I know, some of this smacks of works. You're like, whoa, pastor. You sound like you're saying that we qualify for blessings. That's exactly what I'm saying. Deuteronomy 28 goes through the blessings of obedience and the curses of disobedience. God is not arbitrary. He was very clear. He laid it out. If you do this, you'll be blessed. If you do this, not so much. He's very gracious and lays it out for us. And the tragedy is a lot of believers sit in ignorance and think, wow, I wonder why this is happening. And God's given them the owner's manual, and they get frustrated. Well, doggone it, man, I gave my life to the Lord, and now this is happening. When he's saying, check the owner's manual. If the thing isn't working, get in the book. He's the author. He invented it. He's not, it's not that he's imposing rules upon you. He's leaving us revelation of how the product functions. And we need to have a hunger for that. We need to have that kind of mindset when we look at the word. This contains the secrets of life. And God has invited me in. 
so that I can know how this thing works and I can live a blessed life, unashamedly a blessed life. Something that I proclaim from the housetops and say, you too can be blessed. It's not something we, well, you know, it's, it, yeah, God bless, it's by grace. Yes, it's by grace, by faith, and you have to engage in it. And this false humility that says, well, for, you know, God, God bless me and I don't really know why. I, one time someone asked me a question. This was 30 years ago. They asked me a question. They said, I'm not going to tell you the question they asked me. And I said, well, I don't know. It's just, you know, God's blessing. And the Lord spoke to me very, he rebuked me. And he said, you go back and tell that woman that some of this is the result of the fasting I've called you into. I was like, well, that's kind of awkward. But I went back and I said, you know that question? The Lord told me to tell you. It's because I've been fasting a lot. Because he wanted her to break into the same things. But false humility. Hey, it was, believe me, it's the grace of God for this guy to fast. I love God, but I also love tacos. And for me to do without the, the latter is a grace of God. But if I, if I, out of false humility, I don't share that part, then I leave her in the dark when God's wanting to give her some keys so she can break into some things. There are ways in his word that there are keys that we can cooperate with the kingdom. And so we need to understand. That makes sense? Okay, good. Faith is the conviction that God is worthy of our trust. This is point number four. I've got six this morning. Uh, I know that worried you, didn't it? We got five minutes. Whew. But what is faith? It is the foundational belief that God is good. He is therefore trustworthy and therefore worthy of our trust and resulting surrender. This one thought is the threshold of heaven. This mindset transforms earth into heaven. It invites his reign. It, the beginning is that we now are wearing a new set of lenses. We see things that prior to surrender we didn't see. We begin to recognize the goodness in every facet of life. Life begins to glisten with his glory. In that same book, C.S. Lewis had this great little picture. He said, at the end of our life, he said, both, he said, eternity becomes retroactive. Both heaven and hell are retroactive. And he explained it like this. He said, the saint lays on his deathbed, and as he's getting ready to enter heaven, heaven begins to bleed through the veil and cast a glorious hue over all of his life. So much so that he looks back at his life and he says, all I've ever known is heaven. Even the trials take on a beauty. And that's all they see is the beauty. And he said, but so does hell. And the unregenerate man, as he's reaching the veil, all of a sudden hell begins to bleed through and he looks over his life with cynicism and frustration and bitterness, and he said, all I've ever known is hell. And even the good times take on this darkness. My, my, my little sister, I got one sister, and uh, she is one of the funnest people I know. She, she's a hoot. And she, uh, she's had asthma really severe for her whole life. She's been on a lung transplant list for like 20 years. And uh, so one of the things that will happen to her, because her breathing is so bad, she starts laughing and she loves to laugh. She'll start, yeah. <laughs> and then she'll pass out. We all hold our breath. And then she'll wake up laughing. <laughs> then she'll pass out. She's a hoot. I mean, she is a blast to be around. One time her and I were talking about something. I don't even remember the context. 
But she said, you know, Dave, God's been so good to us. She said, I've lived a charmed life. You know, so many people have to struggle with so many things. And man, in our family, nothing. We've never really had to struggle with anything. My mom and dad have found her dead several times. She was blue, not breathing. They rushed her to the ambulance. And afterwards, the, the nurses would say, man, when we finally got you to come through, you were speaking a different language. Do you speak another language? And she'd have to explain, oh, I was speaking in tongues, you know. <laughs> and so she would, she's just a fun person to be around. But it, it hit me, I thought, man, this, she has been so limited in what she can do with all these health struggles but when you ask her about her life, no, I've, I've just, it's been a charmed life. I've just, I've, I've never really had to struggle. I feel, I feel for these other families that have to struggle with all these issues. But as for me, I've never had to. Why? Because heaven has already bleed, bled through. She's already living in the life of the age to come. She's in eternity. And it's put a lens on her that when she looks at the trials, they just became opportunities to know God better. And she sees blessings popping up everywhere. She's a normal gal. She's a fun gal. But that's our blood-bought heritage. As we put on the lens and really have the conviction, God is good. We suddenly begin to look at the landscape of our life. And all we see are the, the beautiful blossoms of blessings everywhere. And those down spots, those, those trials take on a different hue and we recognize it. Oh, that's where God revealed himself in such a powerful way there. And that's how I had that revelation. I would have never known him as this had that not happened. And it's all a state of mind rooted in, do you believe God is good? Or do you believe God can't be trusted? And the posture you take and and. Scripture's clear. Sometimes there's the fight of faith. Sometimes it's a battle to stand the ground on the God is good ground and not give way to I can't trust him. And God graciously left us tracks in his word to tell us, hey, this is part of the human condition. And I want you to strengthen your faith and hold the ground. And I will break through. Eternity will break through into time and show up. And so, Faith, that conviction that God is good, is not just so we can enter heaven in the sweet by and by. It's so heaven can enter into the nasty now and now. This mindset transforms earth into heaven. Oh my goodness, it's noon. He, it invites his reign. The beginning is that we now are wearing a new set of lenses. Okay, I already said that. Faith in God's goodness is the key to all other biblical doctrines. A number of years ago, this, I'm just reading to you what the Lord spoke to me early one morning about four years ago. I woke up and the Lord began to speak to me and I was writing all this. And he, he told me that. He said, faith, or the goodness of God is the key to all of the doctrines. And as he said that, I went into a vision and I saw a bunch of teachers, but they had these big squares, you know, carpenter squares, Brad, big carpenter squares. They were on the first floor. They were on the second floor. They were in the attic and they were frustrated because the whole house was off of kilter. And they, as teachers, they were trying to line up doctrine and get this thing lined up so that people of God could be in line with God's word. The problem was nobody was in the basement fixing the foundation. And if you get off on this one principle, the whole thing will be skewed. You'll come up with some weird theology. 
And your mind will force you because of that cognitive dissonance that says, I can't live with this thing being out of skew. If you don't address that, you'll address your square. You'll bend your square to accommodate your theology. And so we need to have this conviction that God is good. Now, one thing I want to land with. Okay, I've, I've got, this is one after. I'm going to be very fast. Okay. Yeah. I, I felt unbelief come in the room when I said that. <laughs> I felt it. I felt it. Number five. I got two more points. Five. Gratitude is an act of spiritual warfare. Okay? It is. Gratitude is an act of spiritual warfare. It builds the kingdom while ingratitude is treasonous in that it ignores both the traces of heaven left in the earth in creation as well as God's present invasion in the earth through the incarnation of Pentecost. I so wish I could elaborate on that, but I cannot. Number six. Okay, stand so you know I'm going to quit. I read this at a prayer meeting the other morning. I was praying and this thing came back so I did a search on it and it so gripped my heart I thought I gotta preach on this on Sunday, okay? Gratitude for his goodness creates faith for your future. Now catch this, because the, the, the taproot of your gratitude is your conviction that God is good and it'll enable you to be grateful in the face of tremendous adversity. Gratitude is the key to future breakthrough. Gratitude and ingratitude are to your history what hope and despair are to your destiny. I want you to think about that. Ingratitude cries, there's nothing good in my past. Well, despair bemoans. (laughs) There is nothing good in my future. You see how it's the same heart in two different directions? Psychologically and spiritually, gratitude and hope are intimately connected. The same mindset that appreciates the positive in your past will naturally expect the same for your future. But the negative corollary is true as well. The mindset that refuses to acknowledge the positive things that have happened to you in the past will fail to recognize any possibility of it in its future, breeding despair. In fact, you'll look not just at your future, you'll look at your present and you'll have the wrong lenses on and you'll walk right over the blessings that are blooming around you and all you'll see is the weeds of, of adversity. And you'll, you'll fixate on those things and what you fixate, you will cultivate and produce. And in fact, you'll, you'll attract like-minded people because if you are a negative person, all you will attract is like-minded people who will validate you in your victimhood. But if you are positive, you'll either transform the negative people around you or they will jettison that relationship. And you need to say, don't let the door hit you. I'm just kidding. You you need to pray for them as they're leaving, okay? (laughs) Don't chase them down unless they're convertible, okay? You will attract other positive people. And heaven will begin to show up around. You will actually cultivate what's between your ears and begin to show up around your feet. Okay, I'm going to have you stand for just a few more minutes. Okay, I want to say, who give me five minutes? You know, five, 10, 15, 20, 30, okay. Cultivating gratitude produces a mindset that recognizes hope in the future. If you practice gratitude, 
you'll inadvertently cultivate hope, putting up, put on the lenses of thankfulness, for they are the key to seeing the blessings that lie in your future. Gratitude is to the past what hope is to the future, just as ingratitude is to the past what despair is to the future. Ingratitude says there's nothing good in my past. Despair says there's nothing good in my future. Cultivating gratitude actually, actually cultivates hope. When you focus on the positive in your history, you activate hope for your destiny. Gratitude and hope, as well as ingratitude and despair, are mindsets, and rather than mere isolated thoughts, they are perspective from which you evaluate your situations. And we'll stop there. Okay? So, I want you to raise your hands. Okay? Father, Lord, I'm asking God that you would drop lenses from heaven upon us. Lord, I ask that you would awaken within our heart a hunger. Lord, stir our hearts to see your goodness. Lord, forgive us for our ingratitude. Lord, I thank you for that word that says, you consider that we are but dust. Lord, you know our struggle. Now, Lord, rescue us. Give us glimpses of your glory and help us to latch hold on them. And Lord, let it pull us up and out of our despair. Lord, let us be those who see blessings all around us. In Jesus' name. I'm gonna tell you, Ben, that, that's, where's Ben? He might have he had to leave. That song he sang this morning, God is good and faithful. God is good and faithful. That was a word from the Lord for us this morning. God is good and faithful. And therefore, he is worthy of our faith. Amen? I love you. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.